I don't know about you guys, but man, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of, of wearing these masks. I mean, I know they're, they're important. I know they're necessary in, in, in many places and, and helping flatten the curve. And I'm all, I'm all for that, but I'm just acknowledging uh, I, I'm not, a, they're not the most comfortable things I've ever worn in my life. I mean, they, they fog up my glasses, even as I'm speaking right now. Uh, I smell my breath all the time when I'm wearing them. And sometimes that's not the most pleasant experience. I mean, I'm at the market, the supermarket, the grocery store, different public places, and I'm, I'm smiling at people and wondering why they are not smiling back. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's because I got this got this mask on. And in a lot of ways, I mean, I feel like our world has gotten flipped upside down. But the reality is that, that people have been wearing masks long before COVID-19. Uh, really, from the, the first man, first woman, they, they started wearing these masks to hide who they really are. And while wearing these, these physical masks is, is cumbersome, it's hot, it's not necessarily a pleasant experience, but wearing a mask and covering up our soul, covering up who we really are on the inside is exhausting. And so today, as we look at Jesus' fifth statement from the cross, he extends an offer of freedom from the mask, an offer to, to remove the mask and be human enough to acknowledge our need. And man, removing the mask, obviously, just like that is not a very easy process. It takes a little bit of work. Uh, sometimes we, we, we fumble over it again and again, but uh, I want to give you some practical steps today to remove the mask and discover freedom that Jesus offers. But before we get to that, I want to give a quick shout out and say welcome to Central Christian Church. So glad that you've tuned in today. Uh, we are one church meeting in many rooms all across the Bay and, and literally across the country and actually around the globe. And I'm so thankful that you've tuned in today. Matter of fact, right now in the chat, well, why don't you go ahead and post where you're tuning in from? That would be fun just to see, see where you're watching, if you're in your living room, if you're in the bathroom, you're, you're in the bedroom, wherever, wherever you're in your car, wherever, uh, make sure uh, you're not driving if you're in the car, but, but jump in the chat, let us know where you're tuning in from, and we're so glad that you're with us. Well, if you've, uh, if you've been tuning in for a while, you know we're in this series, uh, How to Navigate a Bad Day. And here's the reality for you. Here's the reality for me. If you're rich, if you're poor, it doesn't matter your race, your nationality, the geographic location where you live, all of us experience bad days. And so Jesus offers some practical solutions on how we can navigate these bad days. And I've been loving our theme verse and been just kind of marinating and, and chewing on this passage for several weeks now. But it's in Hebrews 12, and I want to read it to you together. Here, here's what it says in Hebrews 12, 2 through 3 in the, the message paraphrase. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's just a good reminder for us in this season. Here's the, here's the reason why. He, he both began and finished this race we're in, and then it gives us this instruction, study how he did it. That's what we want to do in this series. We're studying how did Jesus navigate his, his worst day so we can navigate some of our, our bad days. Because he, he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything. Global pandemic. Along the way, cross, shame, I mean, whatever. 
And now he's there in that, that place of honor right alongside God. And when you find yourself flagging in your faith, and some of you are there right now, I mean, just, just, just flailing and flagging in your faith, here's the, the invitation. Go over that story again and again, item by item. It'll reframe purpose. It'll reframe meaning in our life, significance in our life. That long litany of hostility that he plowed through, check this out. That'll shoot adrenaline in your souls. I don't know about you, but, but I need some fresh adrenaline in my souls. And that's my prayer for you, that this would bring fresh adrenaline, fresh energy, fresh perspective, fresh hope into your souls today. Well, if you've missed the first few weeks, we, we were in week five, so we've already looked at, at four statements that Jesus made from the cross. But the first statement that Jesus made from the cross is this. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The very first thing, this worst day, this worst moment, he's being executed. And he looks out and he says, God, forgive them. And what we learned in week one is that if we're going to navigate our worst a day, a, a bad day, we got to put to rest the resentment and bitterness of our past. Because if we don't, it's going to weigh us down in the presence. It's like we're, 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 we're walking around hauling all these heavy, cumbersome suitcases with us, and it, it'll hinder our freedom. It'll hinder our peace. It'll hinder us from becoming all God's created us to be. And so the first thing we saw is, man, we got to forgive some people. Second statement that we saw from the cross is Jesus. He, he looks at this, this thief who's being executed right next to him, and he says this. He gives him some hope. He says, I tell you today, today you'll be with me in paradise. In week two of this series, we discovered that, that bad days cannot derail us from our purpose. And on your worst day, you can invest in something that's much bigger than this life, much bigger than your worst day. You, you have such great purpose. And at Central Christian Church, our purpose, our mission, the whole reason we exist is to help people find and follow Jesus. And the reason that's our mission is because that was Jesus's mission. Even on his worst day, he was living out that mission. And I would just make this this statement that I believe until you make God's mission your mission, your life will feel aimless, meaningless, and purposeless from time to time. Not, not purposeless or whatever that word was, but, but, but lacking in purpose until we make God's mission our mission. The third statement that we see Jesus make from the cross uh, is this, uh, dear woman, he looks at his mom, like the guy's Jesus is being executed, and he looks at him, he's like, what about my mom? And he says, dear woman, here, here's your son. And he looks at his, his disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved, and he said, hey, John, here's, here's your mother. And the principle that we learned in, in week three of this series was that even on our worst days, we care for those who are closest to us. And then last week, we looked at the fourth statement Jesus made from the cross, this, this proverbial question that we all ask on some tough days. And Jesus said this from the cross, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And, and for honest, man, we've all asked that, that question. And what we discovered last week, that even in the painful days, even in the trying days, even in our worst days, there's a plan and a purpose. We might not like it. We might wish there was another way around it. But we even see this displayed on the cross, that there's a plan and a purpose. And now in week five, today's fifth statement that we're going to be looking at today, as Jesus makes this statement from the cross in John 19, 28, it says, later knowing that all was now complete 
And so that scriptures would be fulfilled, here's the statement Jesus makes, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. He's like, hey, I have a need. And that's my hope for us today, that we would be, be vulnerable enough, we'd be, be willing to remove, remove the mask from our lives and acknowledge that we too have, have some needs. Let's be human enough to acknowledge our need. That's the big idea for today. Be human enough to acknowledge your need. But we all wanna appear like, like we have it all together. We all would like to present ourselves like we don't have any struggles. We wanna present ourselves as, as perfect people, but the reality is we do have struggles. The reality is we don't have it all together. The reality is we are not, no one is totally self-sufficient in and of themselves. And if you've been on campus or, or you've, you've come to an in-person gathering here at, at this church, then you've heard us say this statement, we are imperfect people in progress. In other words, we acknowledge openly and freely like we're jacked up. But matter of fact, I, that, that's okay because we don't want to stay jacked up, but we want to point you to the person who is not jacked up, the person who is perfect. We are imperfect people, but Jesus is perfect. And in him, there is hope. In him, there is life. In him, there is healing. And our hope is that we, we turn all of our attention to him. Nevertheless, we wear masks. And one of our values here at Central is authenticity. And so my hope through this, this message and the days to come, we'll be people who are willing to remove the masks and start take some, some, taking some steps to be often, authentic, authentic, there it is. Uh, that just highlights we're imperfect people. Uh, can't even talk. All right, nevertheless, we all wear masks. And, and you know, you get this, especially in this season. I mean, helping your kids with their schoolwork. I mean, how many of you parents out there have been guilty of this? Like you're harping at your kids. You're like, do your work. Sometimes we, we elevate our voice, but then that, that Zoom meeting clicks in and we're like, oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, everything's fine. Yeah, oh yeah, bless you. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, everything's good. You know, like we, we kind of wear these, these masks from time to time. And Dr. Henry Cloud, he, he wrote this book entitled Changes That Heal. I've been reading this book recently, and I would encourage you to check it out because I just believe this. Until we become emotionally whole people, it will be very challenging for us to become spiritually mature people, to become the people God created us to be. And so, so Henry Cloud does a great job in this book, uh, Changes That Heal. But he makes this statement, and I think it's worth highlighting. And the sad thing that, that, that many of us come to Christ because we know we're sinners, like we know we're, we're messed up. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to prove that we're not. Like, I don't have any issues. No, I'm good. We try to hide who we really are. Now, to be fair, I believe that there are, are good reasons why some people wear masks. I mean, uh, we wear a mask because we've, we've tried to remove the mask with some people before and it, it backfired on us. But uh, today I want to talk about uh, two roadblocks to removing the mask and then two solutions to being human again, to be, be human enough to remove the mask and acknowledge our need. Well, first, removing the roadblocks, roadblocks for removing the mask. The first roadblock is this, uh, our fallen nature wants to hide. Like there's something in us, our, our, our fallen nature, we just want to go into to hiding. And we know this from personal experience. Rick Warren, he makes this statement, wearing a mask, wearing a mask wears you out. Faking it is, is fatiguing. The most exhausting activity is pretending to be what you know you are not. 
Nevertheless, we are all, all guilty of this, and we realize this from personal experience. We'd rather wear a mask instead of being real, and that can be traced all the way back to the first couple, the first, first man, first woman, all the way back in this garden they called Eden with this man they called Adam and this woman they call Eve. And if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis 2, 25. This man and woman, they were totally open with one another, but uh, uh, here's what it says. It says, the man and his wife, they were both naked and they felt no shame. And all the fellows said, amen, amen to that. Uh, now that doesn't just mean that they, they had these beautiful bodies that were perfect and in no need of cosmetic surgery. I'm, su- I'm sure they were beautiful people. Uh, but for Adam and Eve to be naked and unashamed meant that they had nothing to hide from each other. They had no secrets to conceal. They, they, they had no fear of rejection. They had no guilt to hide. They were completely transparent with one another, fully known and yet fully accepted, fully known and yet fully loved and all was right in their world. And then the worst day happens in the history of humanity uh, in the fall, the great fall of humanity. Adam and Eve, they get lured into disobedience and they didn't do what God specifically asked them to do or, or to avoid what, this fruit that God specifically told them, don't do it. They disobeyed and, and immediately it all, all turns. We read this in Genesis 3, 7 through 10. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were, they were naked. And so they, what do they do? They, they, they hide, they, they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. And then the man and the wife, they, they heard the Lord was coming. He was walking in the garden, the cool of the day. He's coming out to, to hang out with them because they had this such, this such great relationship. And, but instead, this time, they, they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. But check this out. But the Lord called to the man, and he says this, where are you? Where are you? And I want to just pause right here because I thought I was studying for this and just thinking about this. I just felt like maybe some of you are there and maybe God would say the same thing to you. Where are you? Some of us, man, hiding because of our shame, hiding because of some things we've done. And I think God would just say, man, I want a relationship with you. Where are you? Why are you hiding? And Adam, he responds, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid, I hid. That's the natural response. We want to hide. Adam and Eve, they, they hide from themselves first. They hide first from themselves by, by making clothing, these fig leaves, to cover up the parts of themselves that were different from one another. And isn't that what we all do? We cover up our thoughts. We cover up our feelings. We cover up our opinions from, that are different from one another because we're afraid of, of rejection. And that's why we feel the most vulnerable. And so, so we naturally just go into hiding. Not only do they hide from each other, but they hide from God. They hide from God by running into, into the woods, and humanity from this point on is plunged into this fallen state, and we've been wearing masks ever since. Our fallen nature wants to hide, yet, yet Christ compels us to be seen, to be vulnerable, to, to confess whenever we, we mess up. Our redemptive nature, the new man, wants to be seen, but the old man wants to, to hide. 
And that's why willfully acknowledging that we are broken actually highlights God's work in us, not the opposite. Oftentimes we feel like to acknowledge that we're broken is to acknowledge that we're, we're not right with God, we're not on this journey with God. But I would just submit to you that perhaps the opposite is true because my fallen nature wants to hide, but I think Christ in me compels me to be seen. C.S. Lewis put it this way, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. I mean, listen, it's easy to give into temptation. It's easy to let our feelings rule our life, but it's a fight to renew our mind and to walk in the spirit. And when you do, you come alive, but you gotta fight for it. Uh, I say that to say this, when someone tells you how bad they're struggling, that person is really telling you, man, I'm in a battle. I wanna do what God wants me to do, but I'm just struggling right now in this area of my life. I'm trying to do the right thing, but it's a fight. When someone tells you they're struggling, recognize it for what it is. Man, that's a very holy moment. They're, they're, they're trying to remove the mask in that, that moment. They're trying to, to acknowledge that they're, they're in a struggle, they wanna do what's right, but it's not, it's not easy. They're trying to reverse the curse and they're inviting you into that process. So the first major roadblock to removing the mask is just to acknowledge like, man, we have this fallen nature and our fallen nature we want to hide. The second roadblock to removing the mask is, is a fear of being rejected. And we were talking with our, our group, our, we have a couples group, we meet on, on Monday nights on Zoom, and if you're not in a group, encourage you to get connected in one, but, but we were talking about this passage in, in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 8, uh, 12 rather, 8 through 10, and and it's this guy named Paul, and Paul has written like two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, Paul was like this hero of our, of our faith, is this, this spiritual giant. He was an apostle of Christ. I mean, it's, he's awesome. Uh, but Paul has some very real struggles. And here's what Paul wrote to this church, like the, the, the whole church. He writes this letter. He says, man, I, I was struggling so much three different times. I begged God to take, take this struggle away from me. And yet, he's like he begged, he begged God. Yet each time he said, my, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'll be glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why when I, I take pleasure in my weakness and in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and in troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. This is a guy who figured out how to remove the mask. And we talked about this idea uh, this night and we talked about, um, you know, I just want you to invite you to lean in for a second because I think this is, really at the root of why we, we wear a mask. I think we wear a mask because if I'm dependent on you to provide me with my self-value, my self-worth in life, I will always be wearing a mask around you. But until I, I get my value and my self-worth from a source beyond you, only then can I be vulnerable with you. But if, if you're the one providing me with my value and self-worth in life, I will always wear the mask that I think you want to see because I need you to affirm me. I need you to value me in life. I think that's at the root of why we all wear masks. 
because we want our value, affirmation, and self-worth from people that we present ourselves to. So what's the solution? Like, okay, those are some really big roadblocks, but what's the solution? I think the first solution is this. We need to create some circles of trust. Create some circles of trust. We gotta have some people that we can talk to about our greatest need, about our greatest struggles in life and be, be totally transparent with them. In this series, we're looking at Jesus. We're studying how he did it. So, so what were Jesus's circles of, of trust? Here, here's the first circle. It's a very large, large circle. Jesus had, had large gatherings. In Matthew 4, 25, it says this, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, the region across the Jordan, they followed him. He had, had large circles, large, large faith community that he was a part of. At one of his messages, I mean, you talk about a big church service, Jesus was, was preaching and teaching to a, a group of over 5,000 men, not including women and children. So most scholars would say, man, there's, there's over 15,000 people here at this, this large gathering. The first circle of trust that we see Jesus in is this large church gathering, much like, like this one right here. The second thing we see, the second circle of trust is Jesus had this, this smaller circle of midsize gathering. In Luke 10, 1, we, we see him teaching and sending out disciples with this mission and this message and then they come in and they, they recap the ministry and, and they, they're hanging out in this, this mid-sized group. So we have large group, we have mid-sized group, but then he had a small group of 12 guys that he did life with. These are known as the disciples. They went camping, they went hiking, they went fishing together. They, they did ministry together for over three years. And within the group of 12, there was another core group of three guys that he invested in uh, more time with. And they, they saw him do miraculous miracles. Whenever he's, he's in the garden of Gethsemane, like his worst hour right before the cross, he invites these three guys, this, this core group of trusted men to acknowledge, I have a need, would you pray with me? And then, and then within the three, he has one who is known as the disciple whom Jesus loves. Jesus created these circles of trust, large group gatherings, mid-sized gathering, small group gatherings, a core group of guys, and then one that was a disciple. Jesus, I would just submit to you, I think that's a good, good, good circle of trust for us to build into our lives as well. So I would invite you, who's your large circle? Who's your large faith community? What might your mid-sized circle look like? What about, about a core, a small group, a core group, and who's one who knows everything about you? Someone you can be fully transparent with. We're only as strong as we are honest. So we gotta find some people, a trusted group that we can be honest with. This is so important for your spiritual health. So if you don't currently have one person who you can be fully transparent with, I encourage you to hire a professional counselor, someone you can just throw up on and you know they're not gonna say anything to anybody because you're paying them to be quiet. But, but, but all of us need to have, have a core group, one individual at least, that we can be fully transparent with. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, people who conceal their mistakes, people who conceal when they miss the mark, people who conceal when they, their, their sins, they, they will not prosper. But those who confess, acknowledge the need, and turn from their, 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 their mistakes, they'll receive mercy. 
Thomas DeWore, he said this, an honest confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. You gotta have at least one person you can be fully transparent with. You don't wanna be transparent with everybody. You don't wanna let everybody know everything happening behind the mask, but you need to have at least one person who you let down the guard with. So the first solution to, to, to removing the mask and being, uh, acknowledging our needs is to, to create circles of trust. The second is to anchor identity and value in God, not people. Anchor your identity and value in God, not in people. I believe the key to being vulnerable and transparent with people is to have another source that provides my value and self-worth in life. Making God your source of value and self-worth is key to being able to remove the mask with people in front of you. Psalm uh, 139.14 says this, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. I know it full well. Uh, for, for some of the ladies watching right now, like you look in the mirror and no matter how many times uh, your husband, your, your boyfriend tells you you're beautiful, you look in the mirror and, and man, honestly, you, you probably see a lot of, a lot of faults. Uh, guys are kind of the opposite, opposite. This is very gross generalization, but, but for the most part, men look in the mirror and even though we've packed on our, our, our COVID-19 plus 15 pounds, uh, man, we're like, man, I, I'm looking pretty good. How could she resist this, right? Uh, men and women are just wired so, so differently. But whether you look in the mirror and you see nothing but faults or whether your theme song begins to play in your head, I'm sexy and I know it. Here's what the Bible says. You wonderfully made, wonderfully complex. Here's what the science says about you. Uh, some of you might recall this from like a high school or college biology class, uh, but you have 46 chromosomes that make up all that you are. 23 from your father, 23 from your mother. And that unique combination of chromosomes determines uh, everything in, in your life from your hair color, uh, your eye color to, to the numbers of hair on your head. Uh, your identity is part hereditary. And so it is with the image of God. The image of God in your life is both hereditary and also your, your destiny. But one study found uh, that the mathematical probability that you would have the exact 23 chromosomes from your mom is 0.5 to the 23rd power. That's one in 10 million. And that's just from your mom. And when you add into that equation your dad, the uniqueness that you would get 23 chromosomes from your father, that number becomes one in 100 trillion. The chances of you being uniquely you is one in 100 trillion. I'm just saying the psalmist was right. You are, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're, 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 you're so com complex. And then you factor that in with, with your parents' parents and then their, their parents' parents. I mean, you are incalculably unique. In one of his best-known essays, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, his essay, Self-Reliance, he, he wrote these words. He says, there's a time in every man's education when he arrives at the conviction that imitation is suicide. He must take himself for better or worse. 
I mean, the reality is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, but yet so many of us settle to be carbon copies of other people because we, we, we wear a mask and try to present ourselves as the, the me that I think you want me to be rather than the me that God created me to be. Here's a liberating truth. Hear this. Get a tattoo of this. Write a post-it note on the mirror so you see it in the morning. Make this your screensaver. Get a Sharpie and write this on your kid's forehead so when they come up to to ask for, for help with their homework, they'll remember this. You'll remember this. Here's the liberating truth. God's love for me is based on my position in Christ, not my performance in life. God's love for you is based on your position in Christ, not your performance in life. When I allow my God-given identity to be my source of value and self-worth, I'm willing to remove the mask and be human enough to acknowledge that I too have some needs. Uh, Tiffany and I, we we have a friend, her name's Hosanna Poetry, and she wrote a a great book, one you might wanna check out. uh, Her book's called, I Have a New Name. But it's in her book, I Have a New Name, that, that Hosanna Poetry wrote, She wrote these words. She says, my name is not the name the world calls me. My name is not the name my past calls me. My name is not even the name my own mirror calls me. My name is the name I answer to. And I choose today to answer to a new name. When I hear lonely, that's not me. When I hear disgusting, that's not me. When I hear unworthy, I don't even look over my shoulder. When I hear broken, you must have me confused. Please look elsewhere. When you stop answering to the old names, they stop having power over you. The name, my father, eternity's author, the world's creator has called me is the only name that I answer to. When I hear friend of God, that's my name. When I hear God's workmanship, that's my name. Chosen, that's my name. Loved, wanted with purpose, that's my name. God's temple, that's my name. God's messenger, that's my name. Free, that's my name. Child of God, you must be looking for me. Greatly loved, you must be calling for me. Brand new? Yeah, that's my name. That's the name I respond to. The enemy has no power here. Perfect love cast out all fear, and perfect love has named me and you. And as for me, my name is forgiven. My name is free. My name is brand new, wanted, loved, child of God, created with purpose, and that's my name. And it's been a pleasure to meet you. Listen, you have a brand new name. You have a new identity in Christ. God's love for you is based on your position, not your performance. And when we truly wrap our heads and our hearts around that reality, we can drop the mask. We can relax. We can breathe a little easier because our value won't be coming from the person in front of me. My value is in my identity is already anchored in Christ. In fact, I wanna give you a chance to embrace that new identity today. If you've tuned in, maybe because you are looking for a miracle, I would just submit to you that I believe a miracle is actually looking for you, and I believe his name is Jesus. I don't believe you're tuning in by coincidence. I believe he's actually pursuing 
you right now. And the only thing keeping you from experiencing a, a brand new life with him is surrendering the old life and taking hold of the new. This moment can be the, the best moment for the rest of your life. On May 24th, 2020, in the midst of a global pandemic, you going all in with God, one year from now, can you look back and you say, man, I'm so glad I did. Five years, 10 years, a thousand years, a hundred thousand years from now, you'll look back on May 24th and say, man, I'm so glad I surrendered my life to Christ because he truly rescued me. If you want to begin that journey with Jesus, you want to begin a brand new relationship with him, I want to give you that opportunity. The Bible simply says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is, is going to be able to call the shots in my life, uh, the Bible says, says call him Lord, but that basically means he's going to be the boss moving forward. And we believe in our hearts that, that God raised Jesus from the dead you can be saved. So it begins with, with confessing with our mouth and also this, this cognitive process that we've wrestled some questions to the ground. Not all of our questions, but enough to say, man, I believe that what Jesus, who he said he was, I believe that to be true. And I believe what he did on my behalf is payment for my mistakes. And if that's you, I wanna invite you to begin that relationship with Jesus. And you can simply do that by saying a, a prayer, a big step of courageous faith, but in prayer with me right now. If that's you, pray something like this. God, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. Forgive me for all my mistakes, all my sins, all, all the times I've blown it. God, I ask you to give me the gift of eternal life. And now, now you say this to him, Jesus, from this day forward, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if that was your prayer today, I wanna to invite you to, to text one word to this number on the, the screen behind me. Text, text Jesus to, to 408 944 Five four zero two. One word, Jesus, to 408-944-5402.